everyone, I'm Erin G, and this is Alt Text. This week, I'm joined by Florent Thévenet, the founder and CEO of Blockchain North, a Canadian news site that focuses on giving Canada its own voice in the world of Web3. I spoke to Flo a week before the Collision Conference about Canada's Web3 ecosystem and how it's weird that crypto-maximalists praise autocratic governments for being pro-crypto, and of course, where we'd like to see Web3 in Canada go. So please enjoy my conversation with Florent Thévenet. So Flo, you run Blockchain North. What is this and why did you start it? I love the question. What <laughs> is this? Yeah, well, I guess maybe we have to do a little bit of a better word at uh, telling our own story. But, you know, I mean, this is a, a project really that started uh, just a year ago, uh, just over a year ago. So it's very, very uh, recent. And, um, you know, it comes out of uh, a combination of my background in uh, new media. I was a co-creator of a, of a of a Canadian website called thefutureeconomy.ca, uh, and all we did was interview Canadian leaders from industry, from academia, from government, etc., to talk about the future economy. Uh, so I have that background, and I've done a bit of that internationally before. Um, and so combining that with the fact that it dawned on me as I started my own crypto journey just a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago now, that... Even though Canada is one of the pioneers of this industry, if not the pioneer, mm -hmm. um, we don't actually have an independent media to inform, to educate, to, you know, showcase our projects, our, our innovations. So I thought, well, there's my opportunity, you know, and, I, and, and I'll add that in the past, I've often joined industries a little bit later <laughs> and being told like, oh, you should have been there five years ago, which obviously is a bit frustrating. And so this time I was like, let me not miss this opportunity and let me let me give it a shot. You know, mm -hmm. so um, and today, I mean, I, I would say, you know, we're a new media. We're Canadian. Uh, we focus on blockchain, of course. Uh, we recently rebranded from Crypto News Canada to Blockchain North uh, because we wanted to focus on the entire industry, not just cryptocurrencies, mm. which you obviously know, you know, have, uh, have don't have a great reputation, let's say, since last year. Mm -hmm. um, but also we thought that, you know, part of our mission is to give Canada a voice in the global blockchain space. So we thought that dropping the name Canada and calling it Blockchain North with the maple leaf in our logo um, would find, you know, a, 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 a good uh, sort of middle point between representing Canada um, and also speaking to a global audience. So we're a new media. We focus on blockchain. We're Canada first, but of course, completely open to the world as this industry is. Mm -hmm. And you have, I really like your Twitter presence and the LinkedIn presence, but you also have a podcast. So can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, we're definitely digitally native, goes without saying. Uh, I'm a big social media guy. In fact, I should have maybe mentioned that you know, I mentioned Blockchain Word as a project. My company is actually a digital marketing company called dn4tl.com, if you're looking for the website. And uh, so, of course, that's where it all started. It started as a Twitter account on the corner of my desk, wanting to lean in, 
to this new industry um, as I was learning myself and wanted to share this with uh, a broader audience. And um, and so, yeah, shortly after the launch of the Twitter channel, we had an opportunity to interview Jeff Booth uh, mm. on uh, YouTube. And a big shout out to him because he, uh, you know, give us his time uh, generously, um, uh, you know, at a time when we were really brand new. Uh, and so that was our first podcast. And the way we did it was quite fun. We actually did it uh, as a live interview with 50 Canadian leaders, oh. all of them from outside the blockchain industry, which I find very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I interviewed him live. And then he spent 45 minutes answering questions live in a closed door format. And we published the first part, the interview. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and since then, we've interviewed over 40 Canadian leaders uh, and, um, and really some big names. And, um, and yeah, so this is, this is our podcast, but we'll be doing all sorts of other videos going forward. In fact, we just recorded our first Vox Pop. So we went on the street in Vancouver. Uh, we did it in Calgary as well. Uh, we're going about to do it in Montreal and Toronto, asking people on the street what they think about crypto and blockchain. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting. Yeah, so I know that you've been traveling across Canada and, I mean, even internationally, but, you know, let's focus on Canada right now to talk to Canadians, to talk to Canadian businesses who are working in blockchain and the Web3 space. And what's what's the sense that you get from Canadians who aren't involved in crypto or blockchain on the industry? Well, I mean, I can tell you very specifically because we spent several hours in Vancouver downtown and, and and Calgary downtown. And frankly, I thought Calgary would be way more open to crypto because mm-hmm. the blockchain consortium is there, because mm-hmm. there's just this kind of political support that is a bit more vocal than elsewhere. But to my surprise, both Vancouver and Calgary, most people did not want to speak to us, uh, you know, and that was definitely a surprise. And of course, a little bit, you know, frustrating as we were walking around with our mics trying to get um, people to to share. But uh, what I will say is, you know, we have to be realistic. I think something like 5% of the world is invested in crypto right now. So 95% aren't. Uh, this is why a lot of people still say it's so early. But those who knew about crypto, about blockchain, about Web3, uh, were very passionate about it, uh, were generally quite educated. Mm. You watch the Vox Pop, you'll see they... They, some of them uh, really had a lot of knowledge. I would say some of them had more knowledge than me. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm certainly not pretending to be an expert, but this is what I do all day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly people had, um, you know, some very thoughtful ideas about the fact that, you know, what I heard a lot is the, this is the future of money. Mm-hmm. This isn't going away. Uh, we need regulation. Uh, we need to protect consumers and investors. Um, but again, most people understand that once you open the Pandora's box, you cannot close it. Once people mm-hmm. have experienced the benefits of of crypto and of investing in things like Bitcoin, um, yeah, I mean, how are you going to put that back, uh, you know, in the Pandora's box? So Yeah, I, I think that it's unfortunate that crypto and blockchain are just kind of so tightly wound together in the like general zeitgeist because for those who aren't informed about the difference between the two um, it can kind of you know all of the issues in cryptocurrency can give those working in blockchain a bad reputation and you know I think the people who are building in this still bear market are more focused on 
the, the blockchain aspect. And I think that that is where all of the, the actual change in attitudes and in the way or in the decentralization of, um, well, many things. Yeah, um, I was going to say is, everything. Is going to happen. You know, the crypto is going to always going to be there, like you said, because there is value for those who are unbanked or whatever. But it it can easily there's just like a lot of protections that need to be put in place, like you were saying, for consumers um, about financial literacy, about understanding how markets work and regulation. Um, yeah, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, I the the thought I I just had, and of course I'm not the first to share it, but it's very similar to the internet in the '90s. And if you think about download music download websites like Napster, if you think about many websites, I don't even need to mention the kind, but I think we can we can imagine it. Um, you know, with uh, let's say uh, not so ethical, um, you know, purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we only focused on that and and put the internet away, you know, we would have lost a huge amount of value. I mean, the world is more connected than it's ever been before. It's not perfect. There there are definitely some issues. But, um, you know, the internet today is a lot more than those websites. You know, it's communication. It's, it's, it's education. It's, it's, uh, it's so much really. It, it, it could even help us, you know, uh, you know, reduce some of our environmental concerns. You know, as we could see through the uh, the pandemic, as people were communicating like this, mm-hmm. um, again, I don't believe it will replace human connection completely. Hopefully it doesn't. But the value it has brought is much, much more than this sort of visible part that made the headlines initially. Mm-hmm. And I think we should consider the same about crypto. I mean, the big, uh, you know, dramatic, um, you know, um, sort of implosions that happened last year with FTX, with Terra Luna, with Voyager, with others, it, it, it you know, it, it's inevitable in an industry that's so new, that's taking a lot of risk, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, where there isn't clear regulation. And, and I yeah. think this conversation right now about regulation is, uh, is, is, is picking up speed. Uh, and I would say most leaders that I speak to in the industry welcome that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some, some regulation is better than none. Um, yeah. and it, and longer term, it'll, it'll probably be better. Uh, it, it'll, it'll promote the reputation of this industry once it is sort of legitimized, you know, that's my view. Yeah. And I find that the conversation around regulation is mostly taking place in the U S right now with the SEC and the CFTC being kind of heavy handed on not even the regulatory aspect. It's more the, um, enforcement aspect, regulation by enforcement is the expression they use right exactly and i i get the i feel that i mean you will definitely have a better sense of this having you know talked to people more recently about this but i get the sense that the regulation conversation about crypto in canada has kind of subsided right now and is being usurped by the conversations around artificial intelligence that's true. Uh, yes, that's true. And, and there's some, some overlap too. You know, mm-hmm. some, some of the most popular recent crypto projects are AI related. Uh, and that's important to understand as well is that crypto and blockchain can be used for many, many, many different applications. In fact, probably for in every industry and for almost any economic, industrial, financial, communication and other 
applications in the world. Um, and frankly, the, the larger proponents of all these industries are already involved, invested, have patents, et cetera, et cetera. We just don't hear about it so much. Um, but I think that's a really important thing to watch. Um, now, there is a big distinction between Canada and the U.S. I think you hinted at it. And the first thing we should remind ourselves, uh, uh, you know, as I said earlier, is that Canada uh, is the birthplace of Ethereum. Um, you know, and uh, in one of our recent interviews with Alex Tapscott, the writer of Blockchain Revolution, he actually called Ethereum Canada's greatest economic, I think that's the word he used, contribution to the world. Hmm. He said if you were to ask people on the street, they'd probably say RIM, you know, right. uh, BlackBerry or something like that, or maybe Shopify. But of course, Ethereum is a platform technology, so it's a lot more powerful than that. Uh, so that's one thing to remember. And then we also have had the first Bitcoin ATMs. Um, and we've also had the first crypto ETFs. In fact, the US doesn't yeah. have a crypto ETF, a spot crypto ETF to date. Yeah. So we Although really they have are... the, the new one, uh, that I think the Winklevosses are trying to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, this week, the real story around ETFs was BlackRock. Oh, yeah, sorry, BlackRock, yes. And also messaging very strongly to the SEC. I read something like 576 out of their 577 ETF applications were approved. I mean, this oh, is wow. BlackRock, right? This yeah. is the largest asset manager in the world. And Fidelity announced yesterday, I think, that they're going to follow suit. And they're already calling themselves a crypto bank. Hmm. So that's, that's, that's huge. Those are some of the biggest money managers in the world that are, you know, clearly signaling that crypto is here to stay. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in the U.S., we were just talking about it, you know, uh, uh, regulation by enforcement. I mean, despite industry and politicians having lobbied and in the case of industry directly tried to connect with the SEC, the CFTC, um, there has been no clear le legislation. Um, and, and so as a result, you know, both consumers and investors haven't been protected. And we've seen some of the things uh, that, you know, it has potentially caused. Canada is very different. Like everyone I speak to in Canada, at least, uh, and, and actually we speak to some foreign entities present in Canada as well, say that Canada is actually very open to talking. Um, and this kind of contrasts with, with what we hear in the media. We, we rarely hear the Canadian government talk about blockchain. They talk about AI and clean tech and but blockchain. I don't hear it. Um, despite, I mean, of course, I hear Pierre Poiliev, you know, the opposition leader talking about Bitcoin and he was, of course, uh, attacked for it. But, um, but, but the reality from what I hear is that behind the scenes, regulators, legislators have been very open to discussion. And I remember interviewing the head of the OSC five years ago. Uh, Maureen Jensen was her name. And she was already talking pretty openly about crypto innovation, uh, and that's uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the Alberta Securities Commission and, and others. So, so that's good to hear, you know, that there is dialogue here in Canada that you don't really have in the U.S. Um, I do have to mention Binance leaving Canada because mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that was huge, and 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 yeah. of course in a bad way. That was that was the world's largest crypto exchange, and. You know, CZ is a very big advocate for the industry, whether we like exactly everything they do or not. He is definitely an important ambassador and he's from Canada. And so Binance leaving Canada only two years after it set up shop, um, you know, that was due to a lack of clarity and maybe some somewhat heavy handed, um, you know, recent bills being passed 
that of course aim to protect investors, but I think finding the right balance is is really important. And to me, it reminds me of the exodus of talent and IP we have seen in other industries like clean tech, you know, like AI. Um, I mean, Vitalik leaving uh, Canada after creating mm-hmm. Ethereum here, you know, that's a big loss. So there are some questions to ask here, I would say. Yeah. Um, did you see Vitalik's recent comments about Ethereum and how it could be improved? And one of them is uh, Im- is reducing some of the transparency of some transactions and not making everything um, as open as it had originally been created. I know I had not. Yeah. So he's just saying maybe we need to have a little bit more opaqueness in Ethereum just uh, because not everyone is comfortable having every single transaction out available for the public. And I was like, but you created this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's a very fast evolving industry and there's mm-hmm. tons of pressures from multiple directions. And so I think all of that is contributing to shaping the future of blockchain. And no one today can really see, say what blockchain will be, you know, in, in five years, let alone in 10. Um, It seems to me right now that because, you know, if we look at what's called Bitcoin dominance, which is the, you know, the dominance of, um, from what I understand, Bitcoin's uh, net value, let's say, versus all of the projects, it's at the highest point it's been in recent years. And that might be because there is concern about this opacity, uh, about this lack of decentralization, uh, rug pulls, all these things. Mm So, I, I mean, I think Bitcoin is certainly um, still very strong and, and has a very bright future. And, and with layer twos, like the Lightning Network, um, you know, who knows? I mean, if you, if you ask a Bitcoin maxi, they, they will say that all other what they call shit coins, I would call them altcoins a bit mm-hmm. more respectfully, um, that, they, that, that they will all disappear to zero eventually because Bitcoin is the only one that's fully decentralized. And, right. And so on and so forth. I mean, I'm a big a believer in Bitcoin, um, but I, I do believe there's room for for other projects too. It'll be interesting to see. No one really knows. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, even to Vitalik's, uh, you know, proposed changes to yeah. Ethereum. I think it they kind of exist on a spectrum, right? Where like mm. you've kind of got Bitcoin at one end, and then you kind of have this, you know, kind of evolving area in the middle up to like fiat currency on the other end and people had to find out what's comfortable, what they're comfortable with and how much they're willing to put out there and how much risk I guess they're willing to take on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I have nothing to add to that. I think absolutely. It's uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> and like, I, I think that sort of perspective will help adoption because, you know, I think there is value to having, some things decentralized, but I think a lot of the issue for people who aren't interested in blockchain or crypto is they, they're just like, well, why would I do that? Why does it need to be decentralized? I don't see the value of that. Yeah, well, that's probably one of crypto's greatest challenges. It's, it's, it's really the why. Why do I need this? I mean, I get that question often, and frankly, I struggle to, to explain it sometimes. The main way I explain it is you know, the, the, the value proposition originally of the Internet was, you know, let's connect all the computers of the world so we can exchange information. It's going to be more, uh, you know, um, uh, inclusive, accessible and in a sense, democratic. I don't know that we were using that word at the time. But so so 
you know, but the reality is what has happened to date is that few people control, you know, all of the data. And most people would include, you know, Google and Facebook and, and Amazon and, and those kinds of uh, organizations. And of course, they do control a ton of data, uh, if anything, because they control servers. I mean, many people don't understand that Amazon isn't just a shopping platform. Yep. It, it, they sell servers. And I think that's actually a bigger proportion of their business, you know, it's AWS. The, yeah, it's the, yeah, it's the biggest that funds everything else. Yeah, because, they're, you know, any organization that has its servers on Amazon or Google or whatever is, in a sense, vulnerable. And we've even seen it, I think, with Netflix and Amazon, you know, now playing in the in the in the film industry. And, you know, so but anyway, the, the, the point is that um, not only these large private entities have admittedly maybe too much power, mm-hmm. uh, but also governments do, mm-hmm. you know, governments also own a ton of information and we know how 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 tech savvy governments are <laughs> not yeah. so so that's a bit of a concern as well um i still find it mind-boggling that we're in 2023 and you know if you move from one province to the other in canada you have to like reissue your driver's license and yeah. send paper letters and go into an office and you know all of that when we have biometric and gps mm-hmm. and ai and all these technologies uh, so I think for me, that's the greatest value proposition is truly, um, you know, um, realizing the value proposition of the Internet by disintermediating a lot of key resources, notably personal data, finance, etc. Does that mean that we won't have any centralization of any entities? No, I don't think that's realistic. I'm not saying we shouldn't have governments. Of course, we should have governments. Um, but... You know, maybe there is just a more intelligent and more um, efficient way and more democratic way to organize ourselves, you know, and blockchain, I think, offers that promise. Mm -hmm. I think most people generally don't understand how valuable of an asset their personal data is. Yeah, yeah, because we've just accepted. I mean, the thing is, the terms and conditions of any of the platforms we use, like Facebook, to name only one, um, are not read. I haven't read them. I mean, I've read parts of some of it, but you know, when you're, I mean, it's amazing how much we've onboarded in the last years. Like how many passwords do you have? How many online passwords do you have? Do I you mean, think? ballpark. Uh, uh, I mean, I try to use the same like six or seven, but like once you get into like the, the recommended path, like complex password thing, then it go, goes up exponentially. Right. But I don't mean how many, I don't mean the actual password. I mean, how many subscriptions do you have? Sorry. Oh yeah. For which you need a password. Infinite numbers. (laughs) Infinite. Wow. (laughs) Well, I would say I probably have about a hundred. Yeah. You know, and that is, that is wild. And, and of course it's impossible to read the terms and conditions. I mean, I downloaded a new app yesterday. Well, and this is exactly how like Cambridge Analytica happened, right? Exactly. Because everyone had, accepted all of these terms and conditions to all of these apps on Facebook, not recognizing that these, all the information was going to like data farms or being sold to political campaigns or what have you. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, data is, is, is everything these days, you know, almost everything. It's not our soul. It's not our spirit, but it's everything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you posted something on LinkedIn several months ago Uh-oh. that I, <laughs> I've got receipts Um, (laughs) um, that I found really interesting and something that I had been thinking about for a while. And that was the 
and that's the idea of so many blockchain and crypto proponents and maximalists um, applauding all of these more authoritarian uh, governments for accepting um, Bitcoin and crypto as like currencies or allowing all of these having very low regulatory environments for uh, blockchain. And, you know, why do you think that people are applauding this? Is it because they're just so invested in the success and adoption of the technology? Or is it because they're hoping that people will be like, well, everyone else is doing it, so we should do it too? I guess those are well, similar. I think you've, kind of, you've, answered, you've answered the question. I, I think it's both. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, and I'm an example of it in a very small way. I mean, mm-hmm. having a, a, a business called Blockchain North uh, you know, I have a vested interest in blockchain succeeding. So when, um, you know, El Salvador or the Central African Republic or Madeira uh, or others, you know, express uh, favorable views to crypto or better yet, make it legal tender um, or at least tolerate it, as mm. China seems to be doing after, you know, not tolerating it for years. Um, that's all positive because, yes, to your second point, the more... You know, we, we can't forget that the world's population is 8 billion. And I did the math not so long ago. Only one and a half or so billion live in the so-called Western or modern world, which to me would be Europe, U.S., Canada, Japan, South Korea, Australia. You know, yeah. that's it. Uh, and it's a very, very, uh, you know, approximative and, and, sure. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a simplistic, of course. But, but if we, if we measure it like that, that means six and a half billion people, which if my math are more or less accurate is going to be like four fifths of the population live in developing countries. A lot of those developing countries, different degrees of development, you know, live under an autocratic uh, government. So obviously if, you know, more of these countries adopt crypto and their populations start using it and we know they have every reason to use it because their currencies aren't stable mm-hmm. at best in often cases they're hugely inflationary like Niger- like Nigeria like mm-hmm. uh, Venezuela Argentina Lebanon Turkey I mean we could go on and on um and where they can easily be expropriated in other words where even if you own a home or have money in the bank or own assets, they could easily be taken away from you. Then something like Bitcoin specifically and crypto more generally, which is decentralized in the ether, you know, that governments can't easily seize is very attractive. And if that's four fifths of the population for the exchanges, for those who invest in crypto and for anyone that wants blockchain to succeed, you know, that's an opportunity for great momentum. And one final point is, um, as I mentioned earlier, my first interview for Blockchain North at the time called Crypto News Canada was um, with Jeff Booth. And he has a great book behind me on the shelf um, called um, uh, the, the, the Price of Tomorrow, which is all about, you know, government intervention and inflation mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. And he talks about how innovation or disruptions often happen on the fringes. And he took the example of Amazon, where he says Amazon initially was doing way better in the country, for example, than it was in cities. 
Because mm. in cities, you could walk out and go buy a book yeah. or anything else very easily. But in the country, you couldn't. So they had a different need, right? And so it's a little bit similar with the developing countries versus modern countries. I mean, m money is still pretty easy to use, relatively stable in Canada compared to what it's like in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, if four-fifths of the population adopt crypto, you can be pretty sure that the last fifth will adopt it as well. Yeah. I, do you find that that it having these autocratic governments adopt crypto kind of right now makes the argument for Western adoption more challenging? That's interesting. Um, maybe. I mean... You know, politics. I haven't heard many Western leaders say something along the lines of what Trump said when he talked about shithole countries or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, I'm sure some of them think it for sure. Um, and some of those places aren't always very savory. I mean, I've spent two years in Africa and a year in Southeast Asia and a year in Saudi. And, uh, yeah, I mean, some of it is true, mm -hmm. you know, um, but, um, so, so I don't, but, but I don't hear government leaders saying, you know, oh, it's only going to be used in these SH countries, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. No, I, I don't think it really works like that. I think at the end of the day, we live in a, in a digital era, free blockchain already quite decentralized. Um, it's just that there are some organizations that have tried to like, you know, take over basically by taking over our data. Mm -hmm. um, no, I don't, I don't think it, it necessarily does a disservice, let's say that those dictatorships do. Um, I do think, however, that most industry leaders do realize that those countries aren't always the most savory or, you know, aren't always doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but again, adoption is adoption. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, if you look at the trend line, it's still growing, 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 despite all the incredible turmoil we've seen, you know, and with the Bitcoin having next year, with regulations starting to come into place in Europe and soon in, in the US, you know, I, I remain extremely bullish for, for blockchain. It's just a question of patience and, and, and maybe flexibility because we don't know exactly what shape it'll take, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this, that's a great transition to my last question. Um, you know, crypto investment from like VCs into startups is down significantly this year. I mean, on the one hand, because AI investment is through the roof right now. Um, but because of all of the turmoil in 2022, like you were talking about. And then I think with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and Silvergate. Exactly. And First Republic. Yeah. And, 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 and Credit Suisse. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's, what are your hopes for uh, the Canadian blockchain industry? Hmm. I like that question. Well, I mean, as I was saying earlier, I think we lost our leadership position, at least externally. At least I don't think the world sees Canada as the blockchain leader. Mm -hmm. I also don't think there is a blockchain leader, but... Um, you know, I would say that Europe, through its Mika regulation, uh, has positioned itself as such. And then there's all these small pockets, you know, Switzerland, the Bahamas, El Salvador, 
but also places like Japan that has a metaverse strategy, which is incredible, uh, or China that potentially could very quickly become a leader again, um, perhaps via Hong Kong and all that. But um, my hopes for, for Canada is that we're able to reclaim some of our leadership, um, that we are able to be recognized as such, because I do think recognition is important for our brand as a country. Uh, because again, we have lost a lot of talent and a lot of IP in multiple industries before. I think Canada is very good at creating, you know, companies. We have a, mm-hmm. a, a very, very proactive entrepreneurial ecosystem and that includes federally funded institutions, mm-hmm. uh, that deserve credit. Uh, I'm not always sure that's necessarily the best way to create the strongest companies. You know, I have a lot have of thoughts to- about this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, me too. But okay, I, I won't go there. But um, but 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 in terms of blockchain, I mean, what I really like is I'd like the government and 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 leaders, even at a provincial level, to really um, validate that you know that they understand this is a major revolution. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a it, it's already a major contributor to many different industries. It can help solve some major problems. Uh, I'm thinking about, for example, carbon credits where you need some kind of a ledger and you do not want one government or one private institution or, 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 or an NGO to have full control because, you know, then we create another problem. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I also would like Canada to be recognized because, you know, we're a country of cities. You know, we just passed 40 million on Friday, but, you know, 39 of the 40 million live in like five major cities, something mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, you know, we have a very diverse ecosystem. You know, I would say Quebec and Ontario is more on the investment uh, side of things, uh, perhaps also on the AI side of things, which, as I said, is not completely unrelated. Um, Bitcoin mining in Alberta, you know, Alberta, I would say, is one of the top jurisdictions for Bitcoin mining in the world. Right. So that's an area of leadership. Um, I also think about Vancouver and the whole entertainment industry and metaverse and VR. So, so we have a lot of strengths. Um, so I'd like that to be recognized. I'd like leaders to be more vocal and support this industry and not confuse, you know, cryptocurrency speculation with blockchain innovation, right? Mm-hmm. Those are, those are two different things. Um, other than that, look, I mean, a little bit of, uh, a self-serving publicity. I mean, I hope that we at Blockchain North are able to uh, fulfill our mission. So inform, educate, uh, inspire Canadians and others, uh, but also to give Canada a voice. As I was saying, I think that that's really important and we deserve it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of great things happening in Canada. You know, uh, we have the Futurist Conference coming up. Again, shameless plug, we're media partners and we love their team. It's one of the largest events in North America. And I would say many countries don't have an event that size, you know, 6,000 delegates for two and a half days. Mm-hmm. Uh, super exciting. Uh, the Canadian Blockchain Consortium, I want to shout out as well because Kalea is a friend. I've known her from before she was involved in blockchain, uh, which is like 12 years, I guess. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and she and her team and Jade and others are doing a fantastic job and are probably one of the most active blockchain consortiums in the world or consortia uh with almost 100 members already so so and and doing things all across canada and traveling to places like uh you know uh, uh texas and other parts of the world so 
there's a lot going on in Canada. You know, there really is. But I think we need to start believing it, be a bit bolder, you know, and uh, and tell our story better. Sometimes we're too Canadian for our own good. <laughs> yeah, and it's there's a lot of good about it, but maybe we need to be proud about our humility. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like Canadians are very much of the mentality that they just kind of put their heads down and do the work in the hopes that someone's going to notice them. No, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you hope for Canada in the blockchain space? I think that it's important for us to start really trying to differentiate between crypto and blockchain since crypto does have such a negative reaction and connotation. And I would just really love some smart regulations to happen in Canada so that we don't end up like the United States, um, you know, having public consultations, public conversations with founders and uh, people who use the blockchain and government officials and just to really kind of understand the issues to see where there is opportunity to create safeguards for consumers while still allowing for innovation to take place. And like that latter part, making sure that there is still that innovative environment is just so important to people in the Web3 and blockchain space. So yeah, trying to find that balance, which is always hard, um, will be helpful, but also a challenge for us all to overcome. And then I would love for improved financial literacy skills for, I mean, one, everyone, of course, but two, uh, for especially for people who are looking to enter into crypto trading, because I think that the actual failure of understanding how markets work and the risk involved in those markets has until now kind of led to some negative, unintended, probably, consequences. Um, so, yeah, just making sure that people are safe when they are, are protected when they are um, looking to potentially invest in cryptos, crypto and trade on futures. Can I do a last shout out? It's kind of a double shout out. I mean, I, I want to uh, shout out, first of all, my team, uh, Bobby Barone and Adam Wells, who have been, you know, exceptional in supporting me and, and helping me grow this company together. It really is a team effort. Um, Adam Wells is our content manager. So anything on our on our Twitter, on our YouTube channel, any content we produce is pretty much him behind the camera, editing, graphic design, copywriting, all of that. And he's really awesome. So I want to give him a big shout out. And Bobby Barone just joined us April 1st. So it's going to be three months. And he's a seven-year crypto consultant veteran. And um, not only does he support us as our director and blockchain lead involved in a lot of projects, but uh, through him, we've actually uh, expanded our services. And now Blockchain North offers consulting services, which means that if you're a crypto company in Canada or North America or frankly anywhere in the world, you know, we can write white papers for you or with you. Uh, we can help you build a community, uh, help you, um, you know, build, you know, your, your presence, do content for you. 
And that's thanks to, to in large part to Bobby. So I wanted to shout my team out. And then I also want to shout out our clients. Um, and there's only one I can really mention right now because um, actually I interviewed the leader yesterday and he mentioned he mentioned us, but it's a company called Helios, which is a Canadian uh, music or Web3 social uh, music platform um, that is really just launching right now. And, uh, you know, working behind the scenes with some of Canada's uh, most uh, ambitious and exciting innovators is is really a blessing. It's really a lot of fun and it complements the work we do at Blockchain North on the content side really well because we get behind the scene exposure. So I just wanted to do that on top of my shout outs for Futurist and CBC. So, um, yeah, the uh, the CEO of Helios Rider, he uh, helped provide the music for my podcast. So, yeah, we're pals. I know him. That's incredible. He's the one I interviewed yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. And a big shout out to you, by the way. Thanks for inviting me. Good luck with your podcast. We're going to see each other at Collision. And I really hope we have more opportunities to collaborate because I think we, uh, we're we on the same wavelength. Well, Flo, this has been great. I'm so glad we were able to connect. It's a real pleasure. You take care of yourself. Well, that does it for this week. A big thanks to Flo for joining me. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, you can find me on all those stupid social media platforms.